0: Welcome to the Lead On Podcast. This is Jeff Orge, the president of Gateway Seminary, talking with you once again about practical issues related to ministry leadership. And today on the podcast, I'm going where angels fear to tread. I want to talk about leading worship in corporate services. I want to talk about leading worship on Sunday and what that means. Now, the reason I'm going where angels fear to tread is because I'm not a worship leader in the sense of a musician or someone who leads singing. So, therefore, some people immediately disqualify my perspective and say, well, you don't really know because you've never had the experience. Well, I'd like to challenge that because, quite frankly, I have been a worship leader most of my life, and I'll talk more about that in just a moment. But the second reason that I'm going where angels fear to tread is because there is no area of church ministry where people have more differences of opinion about this than worship leadership and more differences of opinion about what's supposed to happen in a worship service than on this particular in this particular area. So today, I'm going to probably uh, make some of you mad, make some of you think, and hopefully make a few of you happy as I bring up a few thoughts that I think are important about leading worship today. Now, I just want to talk about maybe three big ideas on the podcast. The first one is this. Worship leaders must focus on leading people, not simply modeling worship. Worship. Now, there's a philosophy today that sounds something like this. I will worship and you join me. I will worship and you join me. There's another philosophy that's related that says, um, I will worship and I want you to worship too, but you do whatever you want. If you want to stand, you stand. If you want to sit, you sit. If you want to kneel, you kneel. If you want to sing, you sing. If you don't want to, you don't have to. I will worship, and you join me, or I will worship, and you do whatever you'd like to do. Now, while I understand where that comes from, and I think it comes from a good motive of wanting people to have freedom in worship, I also think It is an abdication of leadership responsibility to say something like that in a worship service. I told you I was going to make some of you mad today. An abdication of leadership responsibility. If you are the worship leader on the stage of your church, you have a responsibility not simply to model worship, not simply to be a worshiper, but get this. You have a responsibility to lead people into a worship experience, to lead them into a worship experience. Now, this means a lot to me because when I come into a worship service, my mind is usually going a different, thousand different directions. I have a lot of things in my uh, on my plate. Uh, my agenda is full, and so my mind is scattered. When I come into a worship service and I'm told you need to follow, you need to worship however God is leading you and you need to find your own way. What I usually think of in that moment is, well, I'm headed out the door then. If I knew how to do this on my own, I wouldn't be in this building right now. I came here because I know I need someone to lead me where I cannot go on my own. It's the same reason I come to hear someone preach the word of God to me. Yes, I can read the Bible on my own. Yes, I own commentaries I can read and see what it says. But I come to church because I want someone that I trust to lead me into understanding something from the Bible I cannot get on my own. I do not see for myself. I need leadership to take me into a deeper understanding of the word of God. And in the same way, I need leadership to take me into a deeper experience with God than I can have on my own. Now, listen to me, those of you who are worship leaders and who are naturally gifted in this area of worship with God. You think, well, doesn't everyone get this like I do? And the answer is no. Most of the people who are sitting in your congregation on a Sunday – have not been thinking about worship all week. In fact, they haven't been thinking about it for five minutes. They've been changing diapers, putting tires on their car, mowing their grass, dealing with their difficult boss, working on trying to get a spreadsheet to balance. They have been doing all of that all week. And when they walk into a Sunday service, they need help. They need help to be led from where they are into a meaningful encounter with God that takes them where they cannot go on their own. A number of years ago, my youngest son, Caleb, uh, received some testing results when he was a student, and it showed that he was remarkably gifted in math. And when we brought those test results home, I said, son, these test scores show that you're, you're remarkably gifted in math. And he said, I am? And I said, yes, you really are. You're, you're a sixth grader and you've just tested out achieving the math scores of a high school senior. He said, wow. And then he looked at me and said, dad, do you mean other people don't get math like I do? And I said, no, son, they don't. And then he looked at me and said, how can we help them? Listen, if you're a musician or a worship leader and this area of life is natural for you, it's what you live in, it's what you think about all the time, would you please understand that just like my son, the rest of us don't get it like you do? We just don't. And just like my son, would you you have that same attitude? How can we help them? Because I want to worship God. And when I come to a worship service, I need you to lead me. Not tell me to do it on my own. Not tell me to do whatever I want to do. Not just do something on the stage and tell me I can follow your modeling if I can figure out how. No, I need you to reach out, get hold of me, and lead me where I cannot go on my own. You are not leading worship, you are not leading singing, you are not leading prayers, you are leading people. And I'm challenging you today to think of your role as a worship leader as leading people into a deeper encounter with God. Now, one way you can do this is choose a paradigm couple or a paradigm family in your church and ask, are they encountering God? When I was a church planter a number of years ago, I had a young worship leader, very gifted, but very young. And so in order to help him to develop this philosophy of leading people into worship, I challenged him to pick out a couple in our church, and we settled on a couple, Sonny and Mary Jo. They were in their mid-50s. She was a realtor. He owned a small construction company. Uh, They had been uh, Christians for all of their adult lives. They were active church people. He had served in various capacities, including being a deacon at one time in a Baptist church. Uh, They were solid people, gave generously financially to support our work. They were wonderful, supportive, uh, God-fearing, good people. When they came on Sunday, I challenged our young worship leader, watch that couple and see if you are really connecting with them. Are you engaging them? Are you leading them into a deeper encounter with God than they had before they came on that Sunday for that service? Are they singing? Are they praying? Are they participating in the offering or in other physical symbols or visible symbols of worship like the Lord's Supper or things like that? Do they seem attentive, dialed in, tuned in? Pay attention to a paradigm couple or a paradigm family like that in your church and ask, are they engaged? Now, the first challenge today for worship leaders is to lead people into a worship encounter with God. A number of years ago, a graduate of the Naval Academy told me this. He said, the first rule of leadership is this, when in command, command. And I would say the same thing to those of you who are charged with worship leadership in your churches. You've been given command. You've been given leadership responsibility. Lead. Don't lead worship. Don't lead singing. Don't lead praying. Lead people. And measure your effectiveness by how well those people are engaging with you and how you can see them moving, participating, and experiencing a worship encounter with God. Now, that leads me to my second big idea today. And that is worship leaders must advocate for participation in worship, not performance as worship. I love live music. I've been to two or three concerts already this year. Uh, When I get to go on a cruise, I love the evenings because I just go from one live music venue to the next. I don't care if it's classical. I don't care if it's 50s. I don't care if it's hip hop. I, I just like live music. I'm not any good at it. I don't know how to do it. But I really admire people who can, and I enjoy the beauty of it in all kinds of different expressions. So I like performance but worship is not performance. A worship service is about participation. So the quality of your worship is not expressed by the performance that's taking place on the platform, but instead by the participation that's taking place in the seats. The quality of worship is not measured by the success of the vocalist or the expertise of the musicians, but instead by the participation of the people who've come to the worship experience that day. Now, going back to some of my pastoral days, I required our worship leaders to periodically evaluate our worship services but to keep the focus on the participants. And I did this in a cheeky way one day, and I challenge you to maybe do it the same way. I told our worship leader one week in our planning meeting, listen, I want you to evaluate our worship service, and I'd like for you to do that by making a video of the service, and then you and I'll watch it together, and we'll talk through what we're seeing and what we can do better. He said, man, that's a that's a great idea. I really wanna do that. Let's make that happen this Sunday. And I said, that's good, that's good, let's do that. So on Sunday, I knew what he would do and I let him do it. Uh, I arrived at this church and uh, came into the auditorium and I said, I see that we have a video camera set up for today. And he said, yeah, remember we talked about that. We're gonna video the service and we're going to, uh, we're going to uh, sit down together and talk about it this week and see if we can keep improving our worship. I said, boy, that's true, that's right. And I said, but the problem is, You've got the camera pointed in the wrong direction. He said, what do you mean? I said, well, you have the camera set up to film the stage. He said, yeah. And I said, listen, the stage is not my concern. The stage is just fine. The people on the platform are doing great. But that's not how we measure the effectiveness of a worship service. We measure the effectiveness by the participation of the people who are in the seats. So let's get that camera and put it up on the stage and turn it around and aim it toward the crowd. And let's see if we can't get a panoramic of the audience and let's see what they're doing in the service. And we'll watch that this week. And we did that. We videoed and then we sat down to watch it together. We were only a couple of minutes into the tape when the music or the worship leader said, just, just stop. He said, almost no one is singing. I said, oh, really? You noticed that too? Now I, I I had already seen this, but I wanted him to see it. He said, "Yeah, there's there's very few people that are actually singing with us." I said, "Yeah, let's 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 look at this a little more and let's talk about that." So we watched a few more, and I said, "What do you see this family doing? What do you see this family doing? What are the kids doing? What are the people looking at?" And for the first time, he had to face the reality that while the performance on the platform was going great, the participation in the seats was. Very poor. People were looking through their Bibles, looking through their Sunday bulletins, thumbing through their phones. People were dealing with their children. Their children were not even paying attention at all to what was happening on the platform. This wasn't a mega church. We're talking about 150, 200 people. But it was pretty obvious that there was a significant disengagement between what was happening on the platform and what was happening in the pews. Now, When you evaluate worship participation, don't evaluate the platform. It's almost always going to be pretty good. But turn the camera around. Turn the camera around and video the participants and ask yourself, are we really leading these people into a worship experience? What are they doing while we're singing? What are they doing while we're praying? What are they doing while we're reading scripture? What are they doing while we're making announcements and receiving an offering or any of the other components of our service? What are people doing? How engaged are they? How focused are they? How much are they participating? So one of the ways that you can move from performance to participation in worship is by Shifting the way that you evaluate by turning the camera around, so to speak, and by evaluating the participation as opposed to the performance. Now, another way that you can focus on participation is by becoming much more intentional about involving people as participants in the leadership aspects of the service. I'm always discouraged when I'm in a worship service and the person who's singing um, seems to be the only one who knows how to pray, and so he just has these interjected prayers at random times in the service that I wonder, did he plan to pray there? Was there anyone else asked to pray? Is he the only person who can pray? And I wonder, has anyone ever thought about involving a lot more people in this service in order to emphasize that This is a participatory experience, not a performance I'm putting on for you. Now, let me give you some examples. When I was a pastor, I had, uh, at the time I did this, a Sunday morning service and a Sunday night service. That was, and in the Sunday morning service, we typically had three prayers. We had sort of an opening prayer and then a prayer before the message or the offering and then a closing prayer. And the same thing on Sunday nights. So that's six prayers on Sundays. So I sat down and I made a list of every man in our church, and this was a number of years ago, so it could be men or women, but back then it was just men. I made a list of all the men in our church, and I told our worship team, we're going to start recruiting six men to pray every Sunday. And we're going to go through the whole list, and we're going to ask every man who's a member of our church to lead a prayer in the worship service. And we did. And the results were amazing, and not at all what we expected. First of all, we started asking men to lead in prayer who'd never done it before, but who were willing. And I noticed something. On the Sunday that they were asked to lead in prayer, they'd wear a tie. (laughs) Yeah. They'd dress up a little bit because they're leading a prayer. And that told us something. People value worship participation, and they value worship leadership. So the people that we asked that were willing to do it, they showed up and often communicated to us, even by what they were wearing, how important this moment was in their lives. Second, there were some people who initially said, I I can't do that. And when asked why, they said, because I've never done it before, and I wouldn't even know how to start. For those people, this prayer opportunity became a moment for discipleship, because I would say, well, let me have lunch with you this week, and let's talk about it. And we would write out a prayer. If you were going to pray on Sunday, what would you say? And they would tell me, and I would just make some notes. And I would say, you know, it's permissible to write out your prayer. God will still hear it. Why don't you just write out your prayer and read it on Sunday? And so it became a discipleship moment of helping people to think about prayer and how to pray and to voice a prayer and to learn how to even write and read a prayer as a step forward in their spiritual development. So we were surprised by some people who were willing to do it and communicated high value by even how they dressed. We were were surprised by some people who were initially unwilling, but we saw it as an opportunity for discipleship and we turned this into a disciple making moment. But then there was the third group that also surprised us. And that was the number of men who said, uh, I can't do that, Pastor. Well, why not? Well, I need to come see you. And the men who walked into my office and said, I can't I can't get up there and pray because, you know, I'm having an affair. I'm hooked on pornography. My wife and I are close to a divorce. My kids see me drink, drinking and cussing on the weekends and, then they see me come to church on Sunday and they know what a hypocrite I am. And if I got up there and prayed, it'd just be worse. And every one of those moments was an opportunity to say, well, let's fix this problem. No, you're right. You're not ready to lead in prayer in a public worship service, but let's start taking some steps to get you there. And the men who started spiritually growing by confronting these things in their lives and seeing real change come now. This is just one example of how intentional participation led to more meaningful worship services as people saw more and more taking the lead and lives being transformed and discipleship taking place and a sense of ownership by the congregation saying, if he can do it, any of us can do it. We're all a part of this service. I did the same thing in another way in that church. As I said, we had a Sunday night service, and so every Sunday evening we received an offering, and we had an offertory. I realize this is dating me just a bit, but I'm giving you illustrations, not prescriptions. And in the offertory, we always had music. And I realized I had a lot of children in my church who were in high school band, middle school band, and who played different instruments and who uh, did different things musically. And so I just told the worship leaders, on Sunday nights, I only want... Uh, children and teenagers playing the offertories. And I, I want I want you to just put an all call out and I want you to find every kid in this church who plays an instrument, who, who plays anything at all or who sings or who does anything like that. And I want them put on a schedule and I want them to be a participant in the worship leadership. And again, the remarkable thing happened. They, of course, kids said yes. They wanted to do it. And when they would show up, they'd be in their best clothes, and act like they were playing Carnegie Hall. Their parents would come. Oftentimes other family members would come. And, you know, these offertories were sometimes pretty sketchy. I heard a flute solo that, uh, you know, sounded like fingernails on uh, chalkboard. I heard a tuba solo. Yes, we had a tuba solo for an offertory. But do you know what? No one cared on a Sunday night in a Baptist church. Kids up there playing the offertory, a different one every Sunday night. Oh, my. What a win that was, as people saw again, participation in worship. Everyone in our church is involved in helping to lead here. There's a place for kids even. And we recognize that we're facilitating development for people of people for the future. So that's just two examples of what I'm talking about. I could go on. Uh, holiday services are a great time to allow more people to participate. This Sunday, this, uh, this Easter, for example, we had a seven last sayings of the cross service at our church, and our pastor didn't do any of the seven. Instead, he invited some guest speakers and some men in our church who he's trying to develop as speakers, and he gave us each one, I was one of them, he gave us each one seven minutes and said, you have seven minutes to do the seven last sayings of the cross. And we each one got to do a little mini sermon, and some people who got to do that were up there for the very first time Wow. Think about that. Intentionally reaching out for participation and broadening the participation. You can do this by inviting people to do testimonies and worship services, prepared video testimonies for services, by singing or by praying or by testifying before the offering or by giving testimony about special emphases like missions or ministries that are going on in the church. But all of this intention, uh, re- participation requires intentionality. So if you're a worship leader and you focus on participation more than performance, you're going to do these two things. You're going to uh, evaluate congregational participation, not platform participation, and you're going to focus on getting more people in the congregation to participate in the leadership by being on the platform in various capacities that I've just described. Now, I know what some of you are thinking, well, we need to focus on the quality of our service. No, your quality is just fine. What you need to focus on is people encountering God. And if that's happening, maybe the quality that you perceive is not really accomplishing what you thought it was, but maybe something else will facilitate people walking out of your service and saying, I met God today. Think about that. Well, finally, there's one other area I want to challenge you in. And that is, worship leaders must use technology to serve the worship experience, not to control it. Technology must serve the worship experience, not control it. Now, technology can enhance worship. I'm not uh, anti-technology in any capacity. Uh, we've been using some kind of technology, all of my ministry, for for worship enhancement. We've printed uh, documents to hand out, bulletins and and listening guides and other things. We've used lighting. We've used sound systems. I mean, these things have been around for decades. Now, of course, there's much more sophisticated forms of technology. But let me say that while I ad- appreciate technology, I advocate for it, I believe it should be used to serve the worship experience It can also distract from worship. It can also distract. Now, this is a delicate area, but you'll have to work through it in your own mind and in your own congregation and in how you want to do things where you are. But I recently was a part of a conversation. I overheard this conversation where uh, church leaders were talking about the fact that their smoke machine, their fog machine was not functioning properly and they really urgently needed to get that fixed. Uh, to enhance their worship service. And I thought, you're depending on a fog machine to enhance your worship service? I think you need to take a big, giant step back. I mean, there's nothing wrong with a fog machine in a worship service, but if you don't have it and your service is suddenly missing something, really? So I want you to do a deep dive on this and ask some hard questions. What technology... That we have available to us today, whether it's sound or lighting or projection or visuals or handouts, what technology do we have available to us today that we can use that will really enhance our capacity to connect people with God in a worshipful way? Not what will make us look slick. Not what will make the platform look dramatic. Not what will uh, cause people to walk out in awe of our uh, uh, technological wizardry. Not none of that. But what will cause people to walk out saying, "I met God today," without any of this other stuff being a distraction or being what they thought was a substitute, what they substituted for, and what they thought was a really genuine meeting with God. You know, I live here in Los Angeles and uh, in the LA area. And as I said earlier, I, I go to concerts and shows and productions here, and they're world class. I mean, world class. And there are probably a handful of super rich mega churches that can compete with that. But quite frankly, most churches, if they're trying to compete with what's going on in a place like LA, huh, they're going to lose every time. So get over thinking that you need to emulate, copy, or in some way come up to the standard of what's being done in secular concerts and in other secular productions related to technology. Listen, technology can be helpful, but it is no substitute for the Holy Spirit working in the lives of people to bring them into a fresh encounter with God and cause them to walk out of a corporate worship gathering saying, We met God today, and he changed our lives. That is not dependent on your fog machine, your lighting, your backdrops, or the slickness of your projected lyrics, or the drama of making sure that your sermon is specifically linked (laughs) to some kind of visual aid. Yes, these things can be servants. I'm not against any of them. But I want to challenge you to think hard and ask if you're substituting these things rather than just using them as the real power of your worship service. Well, today, as I said, I've gone where angels fear to tread. I've talked about worship leadership, and I've challenged you to lead worship and to lead people into worship experience as to focus on participation instead of performance and to use technology and to use it wisely and well, but to use it to serve the worship experience, not to control it and certainly not as a substitute, an emotional or adrenaline, adrenaline driven substitute for what God needs to do in the lives of people worship is a part of every church most ministry organizations it's what we do when we get together it's an important aspect of connecting with god and expressing that corporately and together put these thoughts today into practice think about them mull them over filter them into your situation make use of them as best you can as you lead on